Coming up on Mayo Clinic Q&A. It looks like we've kind of gotten to the peak and now starting on the decline, but it's very uneven. There are reports that show a drop in cases to the Omicron variant. But will this dip in infections and hospitalizations change the overall course of the pandemic? And what about new variants? Coming right on its heels is a sub-lineage of Omicron. Some have called it Stealth Omicron or BA2 is its sub-lineage name scientifically, which appears to be about 1.5 times more infectious than Omicron. Oh, wow. Welcome everyone to Mayo Clinic Q&A. I'm your host, Dr. Helena Gazelka. We're recording this podcast on Monday, January the 31st, 2022. The numbers across the U.S. are uneven in regards to COVID cases and Omicron cases, uh, but now is not the time to let your guard down, according to Mayo Clinic experts. One such Mayo Clinic expert is Dr. Greg Poland, virologist uh, and vaccine expert who is here with us again today to give us our updates. Hi, Greg. Good morning, Helena. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Yes, it's always a pleasure. Tell us what's going on with Omicron. Oh, lots of things happening. I mean, <laughs> in between these uh, podcasts, so much happens. But briefly, what's happening is when you look as, as a nation, it looks like we've kind of gotten to the peak and now starting on the decline but it's very uneven. That's a great description for what's happening in some of the big Northeast cities um, and maybe in, in LA, for example. But if you look in the rest of the nation, uh, it's not clear that they've peaked yet. Okay. Coming right on its heels is a sub-lineage of Omicron. Some have called it Stealth Omicron or BA2 is its sub-lineage name scientifically which appears to be about 1.5 times more infectious than Omicron. Oh, wow. Does not appear to be more severe, although it's very early. And we've seen in some places, for example, Denmark, which had very high immunization rates, despite that, they've had um, about 40% of their cases now be this BA2 here in the U.S., it's in, it's in about half of our states, though a low number of cases. So my guess, this is speculation, is that what we're gonna see is as, as Omicron declines, we may see more and more uh, Omicron sublineage called BA2. Okay, so it truly is not time to let our guard down yet. No, not at all. And I, I, I would really push back scientifically on any notion that says, you know what, we're just going to go back to normal now. Mm -hmm. um, in some ways, you could probably get away with that with young, healthy people, but with adults and older adults in particular. Uh, you're asking for levels of illness and hospitalization and, and death that I don't think are defensible. So the idea of no longer wearing a mask or not uh, recommending or prioritizing vaccine is, in my opinion, disastrous. I feel like I hardly remember what normal was. I actually feel almost um, like something's missing if I go in a, a store or, or anywhere without my mask on. I'm just so okay. used to wearing it now. And it's so cold in Minnesota. It's kind of 
helpful. Yeah, no question. Exactly. I feel the same way. Well, tell us about um, effectiveness of boosters and Omicron and if anything is known about the new variant. Well, you know, this is this is an area where we do have some data. It, it's early data. But if you look at and, and let me try to give you a number. So if we take 50 to 64 year olds who are unvaccinated, their rate of getting infected is about 78 per 100,000. If you look at people who are vaccinated, it goes from 48 per 100,000 to four. If you look at people who are vaccinated and boosted, it goes from 78 to four to two. Now, those are not cases. Those are cases severe enough to end up in the hospital. If we look at those same numbers among people age 65 and older, which is why I said this is disastrous for older people, the unvaccinated were getting hospitalized at a rate of 239 per 100,000, the vaccinated about 27, and the people who were vaccinated and boosted not quite five per 100,000. So it, it shows you in real world data, the effectiveness of these boosters. Again, um, and, and I really want to stress this because people have massive misconceptions about this. If you get, if you have a normal immune system and you get two doses of vaccine and a booster, I'm talking about the mRNA vaccines, and you wear a mask, you've done everything you can to protect yourself and therefore those who will be around you from infection. Those are not iron shields. There's no perfection here, but you've dramatically reduced the risk of Omicron and of its complications. So well, well worth doing. In fact, as we've gone over before, the unvaccinated are, are in the category of they get it, they're highly likely to end up with symptomatic disease, moderate to severe disease, in some cases end up in the hospital on mechanical ventilation or even dying. Whereas people who have been vaccinated and boosted are way on the other side. They are very likely to have mild disease or asymptomatic trivial disease. So it's that spectrum that we're concerned about. All right. Okay, Greg, it's time to open the listener mailbag again. Okay. <laughs> Rub my hands together. These are always challenging. <laughs> they are. I always like to give you these little challenges from our <laughs> listeners. What do we know about the durability of full vaccination with a booster versus the durability of protection from having had an infection with COVID? Ah, okay. Well, let, let me start with just another piece of data because I, I, I think it's helpful. And this is in regards to Omicron now. So this is Omicron specific data. Again, real world effectiveness data. Remember that initially the data showed on average that if you got two doses of, and this happens to be Pfizer vaccine, these data, you were at about 95% protection against symptomatic disease. In the face of Omicron, those two doses dropped to about 70% efficacy against severe disease and about 33% or so efficacy against a symptomatic infection. So quite a drop yes. in the face of Omicron. 
if you got that third dose, you then went to about 86 or fell from 95% to 86% effectiveness. So a small drop and uh, about 75% against any symptomatic infection. So the power of a booster, even in the face of Omicron, while not as good as the preceding variants, is still very good, on par with a lot of our other vaccines. So what about durability? Well, it's, it, it, what we saw, and this is really hard to tease, a, tease uh, out, is people who had two doses, time moved on, a new variant, Omicron, showed up, and the efficacy decreased. Was it waning immunity? Yes. Was it new variant? Yes. It's both of those. It's the combination. So if we don't see a new variant other than the BA2 that we talked about, which I don't think is going to uh, be significant in terms of evading vaccine immunity, then the likelihood is you are protected against severe disease. The question will be, how long are you protected against very mild, trivial, or asymptomatic disease? We don't know yet. It just hasn't been long enough. I'm going to guess that it will be at least on the order of three, four to six months, something like that. So I expect what we're going to see, particularly for people vaccinated and boosted, is that very quickly Omicron's going to peak. They will really not be at risk. Um, we've got a lot of people immunized now in the U.S., so we'll see it fall back down okay. to uh, kind of baseline levels. Let me make the point. We are not going to get rid of this virus. It's too late based on how we acted. It's too late. So we're going to get down to some baseline level only to see it surge again, either with a new variant or as we uh, go back into the fall time. So Greg, how does that, the durability of the vaccine compare to someone who was infected and their risk of getting? Well, this is, this is interesting. The risk of reinfection. So in other words, you've gotten infected once. The risk of reinfection with Omicron compared to Delta is almost five and a half times higher. The point being that infection is no more of an iron shield than vaccine is. Again, massive misperceptions about that among the general public. Now, there is a paper out arguing that, in fact, um, so-called hybrid immunity, illness-induced immunity plus vaccine-induced immunity is probably the strongest immunity. I have no argument against that. I think that is probably proper immunologic reasoning. But what about infection only or vaccine only? It varies by which variant we're talking about. But it is clear that people who have been previously infected do get reinfected over time. And unfortunately have a risk. If you're counting on a reinfection, just get it now and get it over with you have the risk that you could have fairly significant disease because- I was, uh, I was mentioning to you just offhand right before we started, uh, Helena, the last uh, six cases of COVID that I've been consulted on, one of them uh, resolved very quickly, that did fine. The other five are disasters. Mm -hmm. They are disasters. They are heartbreaking disasters. And 
unfortunately, it, it just seems like it has to happen in each neighborhood, each family, before people get it and realize the significance of this. They, they mistranslate milder from uh, Delta to, oh, mild, and I don't have to worry about it. It is not the case. Do you realize that we have a higher peak of deaths per day in the US from Omicron than we did last year with Delta? The death rate is higher, not because it's more severe of a disease, but if let's just say X percent of a small number of Delta infections, those deaths occurred, now take 10 times that with Omicron and you have more deaths, more hospitalizations as a result. And, and again, this is lost on the public. All right, next question. With the Omicron variant, is there still an assumed, quote, grace period, close quote, after which if you get infected and recover, you'll you will be highly unlikely to contract COVID again within 90 days? Or is that untrue because it is so highly transmissible? So I think what the listener is asking is, if I were to get infected, is there a period of time that I know I'm protected? Yes. In general, the answer to that is yes, but it is so variable person to person. There are people who have gotten reinfected in as short a time period as 30 days. For the vast majority of people, it's probably 90 or more days would be my guess, but not permanent by any means. And it really depends on, on your risk factors. Do we know, Greg, how Omicron is behaving in terms of people developing long COVID syndrome yet? Definitely does occur. Um, one of the interesting things, and, and let me say that we have far less information and data on long COVID than, than I would like, but the early indicators, so subject to change as we get more data, is that long COVID symptoms are occurring even in people with very mild, almost trivial symptomatic Omicron disease. Um, there's a lot of theories about this. Uh, one of them being it may be due to end organ damage due to microclots, another being that it's actually chronic viral infection. We've seen some evidence for that in an excellent paper in terms of infection of brain cells. And then another that it may be an autoimmune type reaction that's occurring. So the point is that uh, I think we've generally felt that the more severe the disease, the greater the risk, but we're beginning to see indicators that even with mild, and as I say, sometimes trivial disease, that long COVID symptoms can result. Now, in what proportion and magnitude, I don't think we have clarity on that yet. All right. Now we've all seen in the news that the government is allowing for the distribution of N95 masks mm. uh, to individuals throughout the country. And our next listener wants to know, can that mask be reused? And for how long? Again, our listeners ask very practical, very good questions. So uh, let me answer it this way. The CDC guidance to healthcare providers is that that mask be used no longer than a typical work week, which let's just say 40 hours. Now, having said that, 
all of us as healthcare providers are working far more than 40 hours right now. But let's just take a typical work week, uh, 40, 40 hours. I think that's reasonable uh, for most of us in the general public. You're wearing a mask for the hour, hour and a half you're in church or when you go into the grocery store or, or something like that. The difference is if your mask is visibly dirty, if the straps aren't tight, um, if it gets wet or a hole or torn in it, discard it. But I think you can safely wear it over the course of about a week before having to replace it. I think we're going to start seeing surgical masks and KN95s used more and more in the winter in regards to prevention of influenza. Um, when you look at the data showing a doubling in the risk of heart attack and stroke in people, older people who get influenza, uh, once people understand that and recall that last year when we were wearing masks, there was no influenza. Think of the misery that causes. And 2017, I think it was, we had almost 80,000 hospital or, uh, deaths, 80,000 deaths, and almost 900,000 hospitalizations, all of which is preventable. One last listener question for you, Greg. When will those of us who are fully vaccinated need to receive another vaccination dose? Do you think that we'll need a series uh, of doses every year or will it come down to one shot like the flu shot eventually? Yeah, both uh, Pfizer and Moderna have announced the development of an Omicron focused variant booster. They expect to have that out in March. So what I think will happen is that if Omicron or the Omicron sublineage BA2 continues, then I think we'll see recommendations for the use. Perhaps people age 60 and older or immunocompromised or those wishing to further enhance their immunity. The ideal would be just as you're proposing, Helena, that we move toward a annual fall vaccine against influenza and its strains and coronavirus and its strains combined together. Oh, that would be the ideal. And uh, there's several companies working on that in years to come. They hope to add the third respiratory pathogen, which causes so much illness, which is called RSV or respiratory syncytial virus. But I think next year, we're very likely to see a combined dual flu coronavirus vaccine. Wonderful. I do. I think it's just not, you know, unless we saw a really virulent uh, variant, I just don't think it's sustainable uh, nor feasible to roll out booster after booster, vaccine after vaccine. We're going to have to, uh, as I say, the reality of it, there's some amount of this we're going to have to live with. And I think um, when we reflect back, you know, we're we are zooming toward almost a million deaths in the US due to this awful disease. And I think that's gonna cause a lot of reflection on what we did and what we didn't do. And, and I think the, the idea of people not being immunized who are otherwise eligible and not wearing masks who are otherwise capable, um, I, I think will be a difficult one for people to reconcile. Uh, with. Greg, I have a follow-up question on what you just said earlier about how it might not be feasible, feasible or practical to follow up on every variant yeah. with a booster. Yeah. 
Yeah. But explain how is that different than the flu vaccine? My understanding of the flu vaccine has always been that you include the most prevalent strains each year. And so the flu vaccine varies every year. No, you're, you're right. And I didn't mean the annual idea. I okay. meant okay. two or three times within a year or more trying to roll out new boosters or new variant boosters. Uh, annually, I think that's fine. And obviously, if, if a new variant were to arise that was highly virulent and transmissible, that would be a reason um, to, to roll out yet another vaccine. We've only done that one or two times in the U.S. in modern history, and it's very difficult to do. Um, and we, we have, um, unfortunately, a growing, um, I would call it rejection of science and hesitancy toward vaccines, making the, uh, the public health consequence of these highly transmissible diseases very, very difficult to handle. And as I say, for me as a, as a physician and a, and a clinician, it, I, I don't know what to say other than it is, it is truly heartbreaking mm -hmm. to watch these totally preventable things happening. I said to one person, with that. <laughs> I, I said to one person, uh, maybe, maybe it was unkind, but after two years of watching this happen, I, this ha person happened to be unvaccinated and rejecting vaccines. I said, what risks would you be willing to take to raise your baby daughter? And I think, I think that reached him to some degree to say, yeah, wait a minute, what am, what am I thinking and doing here? So. Yeah, well, that, that would do it. We're closing the mailbag, Greg. Any last words of wisdom for our listeners? Today? You know, I think I just uh, wanna lean into and press on the point that you made early on, Helena, because I think it was such a good point you made. And that is despite what you might hear from celebrities or various politicians. Um, the idea that the pandemic is over is in no way supported by the actual data and the actual facts. The actual data, the actual facts, for those of us, particularly this is clear for those of us who are adults, is get two doses of an mRNA vaccine and your booster. If you got the J&J &J vaccine, get a dose of mRNA booster and wear a mask when you're indoors. That is the safest thing that you can do to protect yourself, your family, and your community. Pretty much what you've been saying for the past two years, Greg. It is. <laughs> Thank you, Greg, for being here today. I know how busy you are and we appreciate time out of your schedule. My pleasure. Our thanks to Dr. Greg Poland, Mayo Clinic expert, for being here with us today to give us our COVID updates. I hope that you learned something. I know that I did. And we wish each of you a wonderful day. Mayo Clinic Q&A is a production of the Mayo Clinic News Network and is available wherever you get and subscribe to your favorite podcasts. To see a list of all Mayo Clinic podcasts, visit newsnetwork.mayoclinic.org. Then click on podcasts. Thanks for listening and be well. We hope you'll offer a review of this and other episodes when the option is available. Comments and questions can also be sent to Mayo Clinic News Network at mayo.edu.